Welcome to the Calvary Chapel Lake of the Ozarks message podcast. Our prayer and desire as you listen to today's message is that it would be an encouragement and challenge in your walk and relationship with Jesus. If you'd like more information about our church, please visit us online at ccloto.org or download our app in your app store today. Now, let's jump into today's message together. Well, good morning. If you have your Bible, open up. We are in 1 John. We are nearing the end. As my wife said, is it really possible? Are we really in the last chapter? She almost makes it seem like, are we really in the last days? Like, we don't know when the Lord's returning. She doesn't know, I mean, of 1 John. Are we really in the last days? of? Yes, we are, honey, we are. So 1 John chapter 5, and we're just going to go the first 12 verses. So if you read along with me, and as always, if you want a physical Bible, you know, maybe you have a digital one, and we're not like bashing anybody if that's your flavor, but if you want a physical Bible, we have them in the hub. They're free. Please grab one. Or if you know someone that you would love to gift a Bible to, that's also a resource available to you. And any of those books that you see in there, they are for you to pour into you or for you to, for God to work through you. So if you see one, it's like, man, my neighbor or my coworker, they would really, they could really benefit from that. Like that's a resource available to you. That's, that's a part of what the hub is all about. So, all right, First John chapter five. Everyone who believes in Jesus Everyone who believes that Jesus is the Christ has been born of God. And everyone who loves the Father loves whoever has been born of Him. And by this we know that we love the children of God, when we love God and obey His commandments. For this is the love of God, that we keep His commandments. And His commandments are not burdensome. For everyone who has been born of God overcomes the world. And this is the victory that has overcome the world. Our faith. Some of you need to hear that this morning. This, this is the victory that has overcome the world. Our faith. And who is it that overcomes the world except the one who believes that Jesus is the Son of God? This is he who came by water and blood, Jesus Christ. Not by the water only, but by the water and the blood. And the Spirit is the one who testifies because the Spirit is the truth. For there are three that testify, the Spirit and the water and the blood. And these three agree. If we receive the testimony of men, the testimony of God is greater. For this is the testimony of God that he has borne concerning his son. Whoever believes in the Son of God has the testimony in himself. And whoever does not believe God has made him a liar because he has not believed in the testimony that God has borne concerning his son. And this is the testimony that God gave us eternal life and this life is in his son. And whoever has the son has life. And whoever does not have the Son of God does not have life. Man. Don't you, we've always kind of made the joke, you take those really hard verses, and it's like, why aren't those the ones that are up on the mantle in the fireplace? Why aren't those the ones that Grandma used to needlepoint and knit into a nice little thing? You know, whoever does not have the Son of God does not have life. Like, that just warms my heart every time I come into your house, Grandma. Thank you for that. But if we start at the very 
We're very tired. We're just going to work our way through this. Everyone who believes, there's that, that word that John uses so much in, in these epistles and even in his gospel, that it's not just an intellectual thing. And that's what we have to get through our intellectual brains is it is not about just what we know, but it's about a relationship. It is about putting our faith and our trust in Jesus for salvation. It's about relying, putting a confidence in him. I mean, you even kind of think of like Mary, the mother of Jesus. And, and the very first miracle that's recorded in the Gospel of John that Jesus did was turning water into wine. And, and she treasured things in her heart. We have that in the scriptures. You know, when an angel shows up and you know that you're a virgin. Like if anybody knew that Mary was a virgin... Probably Mary, right? We can, we can safely say that. And the angel shows up and says, oh yeah, you're, gonna, you're, you're with child. And the Holy Spirit's going to overshadow you. And you're going to be pregnant. And does that whole thing. You know, there, there, there's all those little events so that when you get to the wedding at Cana and he turns water into wine, what does Mary say to the servants? Do whatever he tells you to do. Now, did she know what he was going to do? No, she's not omniscient. God is all-knowing, but Mary is not. Mary is just merely a human. But she had a confidence in Jesus. See, we are called to have that same confidence in Jesus, that we believe that he can do whatever he wants to do. And so that's the struggle, is a lot of times we have all the things that we want God to do, and we have confidence in what we think is right, but we have to understand his ways, not our ways. His thoughts, not our thoughts. His will, not our will. But everyone who believes in putting that faith, that reliance, that confidence in Jesus, that he is the Christ, has been born of God. So that definitely takes us back to John 3, and we'll talk about that. You need to be born again. But you have to believe that Jesus is the Christ. See, I grew up thinking, well, that's his last name. Everybody has a last name. I'm Nick Pierce, Jesus Christ. But that's his title. In the, in the Greek... The word Christ is the Hebrew word for Messiah. And so John is going back to all of the Old Testament, all the, the prophecy that God has given that he will deliver his Messiah, his anointed one. And when you study the character and the person of this Messiah, we, we have to come to the conclusion that that's God that is going to be in human form. And that's a, that's a mystery that Honestly, the Jews still to this day, no, the Messiah is just a political leader, but he's not God. But when you study the fullness of the Old Testament, we understand the Messiah has to be God and human. And what John is saying is that everyone who believes that Jesus is the Messiah, and so here we are Jewish in our foundation of our faith by adoption, not by heritage, Right? We are adopted into that Jewish faith, but we're Messianic Jews. Like if we're going to go full on, like talk to a Jew that grew up Jew, but he believes in Jesus, they're called a Messianic Jew, meaning they believe in Jesus. We're in the same boat. We're holding to the same Old Testament scriptures and the promise of a Messiah. And what makes us Messianic about it is that Jesus is the fulfillment of that, that Jesus is the Messiah. And he, he is God. You understand if you go clear back to the Gospel of John at the very beginning, he says, in the beginning was the Word, capital W, and the Word was with God, and the Word was God. And the Word, down in verse 14, says the Word became flesh 
and he dwelt among us. That word dwelt means he tabernacled with us. So just like God would tabernacle with Israel, God tabernacles with us in the person of Jesus. We studied Colossians before we got here, and it talks about how he is the image of the invisible God. And I love how Hebrews says it. So if you want to turn to Hebrews 1, the writer of Hebrews, who we don't exactly know, there's some good guesses out there, but the beginning of Hebrews, the writer says, long ago at many times and in many ways, God spoke to our fathers by the prophets. Absolutely. He would speak through the prophet of Jonah, Isaiah, Obadiah, all these different prophets, and he did it in many ways. Some of them walked around naked and cooked food over human poop. Yeah, that's in the Bible. (laughs) Isn't that crazy? And those are ways that God was speaking. Sometimes it was just a good, clear message, right? Thank the Lord that he doesn't have us do those kind of reenactments that he had Isaiah do. But he spoke in many times and in many ways. We understand that. But in these last days, he has spoken to us by his son, whom he appointed the heir of all things, through whom also he created the world. So here we understand the son created everything, that Jesus was the active part in creation. And he, verse 3, is the radiance of the glory of God, which we know in the Old Testament, it says that Yahweh, God, does not share his glory with anyone because God in three persons, that's how he, Jesus, is the radiance of the glory of God and the exact imprint of his nature. Remember talking last week, we geeked out massively. Hope your brain hurt a little bit. Talking about the nature of God. Yeah, Jesus shares perfectly the nature of God. And so everyone who believes that Jesus is the Christ has been born of God. We're born again because of our faith and our trust, our reliance, our confidence that Jesus is God, 100% God and 100% man. And again, we'll unpack some of this as we go. And everyone who loves the Father loves whoever has been born of him. John even started talking about the fellowship that we have that we want you to be a part of. We have fellowship with the Father and with the Son. How do we have fellowship with the Father? You know, even Philip in the the Gospel of John was asking Jesus, like, hey, if you would just show us the Father, that would be great. And Jesus kind of wants to look at him like, you're an idiot. He goes, if you've seen me, you've seen the Father. Why? Because Jesus is the exact nature of God because he is God. And so for us to fellowship with the Father is to believe in Jesus. Why? Because God the Father put everything on Jesus. And the Holy Spirit is doing everything to glorify and uplift Jesus in our heart and in the world. And so that's how we, who everyone who loves the Father, loves whoever has been born of him. And so previously, we've talked about how when we love one another, it's as a testimony or a proof of our love for God. That's what John talks about there in chapter four, that when people see us sharing the love of God horizontally with other people, our enemies, broken, messy, uh, you know, the fringe people, like let's go back to the movie if you went and saw it, the hippies of our day, people will look at us and say, hold on, you There's something different about you. What is that? Well, it's a proof. It's a testimony of our love for God. And now John's using the same thing, but he's flipping it the other way around. And so he's saying that now just as that our love for God and our obedience to his commandment, that's a testimony of our love for his children. So how do we love those around us? Well, we love God and we obey his commandments. Well, how do I love God? We love others. How do I love others? We love God. 
they go hand in hand. You can't have one without the other. Let me try to help in this because in, you know, 1 John 4, 21, he says, this is the commandment that we have from him, that whoever loves God must also love his brother. So this is a command that is on us. We can't just come here on Sundays, love God, love the cross, everything that Jesus did, and go out and be the same dirty, rotten, sinful people that we are. No, he is calling us different. We can't just treat anybody how we want. We have to treat them, understanding that they're made in the image of God, that God loves them, that he has died for them. But I don't like that person. You're right, and we don't like you, but we still love you. Why? Because we must because of our love for God, that, it's, that our, our love for one another is going to go beyond our race, our political opinion. It's going to go beyond our economic status. Us as a family of faith, that is the first and only lens that anything after that is going to be used to try to divide us. I mean, the saddest thing that uh, we could be in the church is divided that we're all going to be just the same. Like I was very grieved at a previous church when um, there was a family who voted differently than maybe the majority of people in our church. And they said, we just don't feel comfortable here because we're from a different political frame of mind. And so, so we're going to leave the church. That we, that we held a different political view higher than the unity that we're supposed to have as the family of God. Or that we would hold that the color of our skin, or we would hold our heritage, or we would hold our nationality, like I love our country, but that is absolutely far below our identity as believers. It's actually one of the things, if you talk to any ethnos uh, student that they train them in, that how do they know that a church is, is growing and is healthy in another culture? They have a little acronym called WILD. W-I-L-D. This is straight from Matt Arnold. He was giving me this, and the I stands for identity. That our identity as believers, our identity as the church, far exceeds any other identity that we have. And, and so we have to on guard because I think the enemy wants to use any of those other ways that we've divided ourselves to cause division in the church. And that's where we, in our faith in Jesus, because we believe in him, born of him, we have to stand guard at the door and say, not here. It might happen in other fellowships, but not here. Why? Because we're going to hold God's word true. Like we understand what Galatians says. There's neither slave nor free. There's neither Greek nor Jew. There's no male nor female. Like, no, we are one in, no, no, I'm not going to try again. You know what? I preach alone. My son hates that. My son's real techie, and he's like, it's so simple to keep it from doing that. So we, we see, Satan using my phone to interrupt a good word right there. And so we, neither Jew nor Greek, slave nor free, male nor female, no, we are one in Christ. And so we love one another, and this is the command that's on us. Like put it in, all right, if you're family, if you're married, and you have kids, think of it this way. Here's a little analogy that helps me. Loving my wife is a testimony to loving my kids, right? So to show my love for my kids, my daughter's right here, to show her, hey, I love you. Well, prove it to me. I love your mom. And as a testimony, now go the other way, as a testimony to loving my kids, I love my wife. So if my wife says, do you really love me? Yeah, well, prove it to me. One of the ways, not the only way, one of the ways, 
Look how I treat our kids. That is a testimony to that. Some of the greatest things I could do is give a, give a, a good biblical understanding and example of a biblical marriage for my kids. And that is a loving thing for them and vice versa. And so the same thing. We love the bridegroom. We love Jesus. We need to love his bride as well. And there's so many times that I might get a little fired up in sermon prep and I'll go in, I'll talk to Sean or Andy or I'll talk to Jerron and one of the things that I get real fired up, want to be, and they'll be like, hey, don't, don't beat the bride. Jesus loves the bride. He laid down his life for the bride. Love the bride. Cherish the bride. Now speak truth and grace, but don't beat the bride. And there's some pastors that just love to beat the bride, but we are called to love one another. And that is a testimony of our love for God. And we are called to love God and obey his commandments. And that's a testimony that we love his children. Because when we obey the commandments of God, they will lead us in everything that we need to love God and to love our faith family. That we will never find ourselves outside of the bounds of what he has called us if we follow his commandments. And if we really want to understand, well, what does that love look like? Again, God defines it, not us. And he defines it in his commandments. And so when, when John is writing in verse 3, and he says, for this is the love of God. All right, so let's wrap that up. What's the love of God? That we keep his commandments. Love for God will show itself in obedience. A mature Christian is gauged on this metric here. Oh, I just love the Lord with all of my heart, soul, and mind, and da, da, da. Wonderful. Now let's look at our lives. Are we following the commandments of God? Nah, those are, you know, that's, that book's written, it's old, and they don't understand the current things and, and how the world really is, and it's impossible to live by all of that, and why do we get to choose certain ones and not other ones, and you eat bacon and, and shrimp, but yeah, we're supposed to not do this or do this? Like, no, no, no. We love God. When we love God, we obey his commandments for this is the love of God. We keep his commandments. And so, yes, there are things that we need to walk through and understand. So when people look at us and say, why, why does the Old Testament forbid this, but you, you do it anyway? Because we're, we're in a different dispensation. We're in a different era of what God is doing, right? We're, that's the old covenant. We're not under that anymore. Why? Because of the blood of Jesus, the very thing, communion that we're about to take. He said, this is a new covenant, right? We would be far more excited about it if Jesus would have said, hey, drink the cup and you can have bacon. Praise the Lord, let's go. The church would grow by thousands. But no, it's a new covenant that he's doing. It's a new thing. That there are certain Old Testament laws that we're not held by anymore. Some are. Some are carried through. The moral obligations, you know, in the Old Testament and in the New Testament still can't murder darn it, you know what? I had my list ready in case the Lord wanted to lift it. Watch out. No. But this is the love of God that we keep his commandments. So love for God will show itself in obedience and following what he has called us to do and, and who to be. And his commandments are not burdensome. Meaning if it is, you don't understand the love of God. If it is, I would question your faith. Not if you have it or not, but the strength of it. 
right? Like the first day I ever tried to lift weights, I was a freshman in high school and I weighed like 104 pounds soaking wet. And I went to try to lift weights with my friends and they're all putting weight on the bar. I could barely lift the bar, right? Like it was very, <laughs> it was burdensome to me because my, I was weak. I never worked out before. I was struggling. But if you stay with it, if you grow and you allow faith to be exercised in your life, it's a muscle. You're going to grow in strength. These commandments are not burdensome, but what we'll find is life in those. So hold here and go to Matthew 11. Don't take the pastor's word for it. Take the pastor, Jesus. Take his word for it. So Matthew 11, probably know where I'm going. Matthew 11, verse 28. Jesus says, come to me, all who labor and are heavy laden, and I will give you rest. You know what he doesn't say? Hey, come and fulfill my law. No, no, no. He says, come to me. That when we obey his commandments, it's an outflowing of our relationship with Jesus. So we come to Jesus, all of us who are labor and heavy laden. He says, I will give you rest. Take my yoke upon you and learn from me, for I am gentle and lowly in heart. Right? Like, no wonder people that were the oppressed and sick and diseased felt comfortable being with Jesus because he was gentle and lowly in heart. He was humble. It's one of the things that uh, we, I, I love is Jesus was a comfort to those that were distressed, right? He was a comfort to those that were uncomfortable in the world. And those that were comfortable in the world, yeah, he caused distress to them. And I love that. And I pray that he gives me that same kind of ministry. Lord, even in my own heart, where am I comfortable? Cause some distress. And where there's distress in my heart, come and be a comfort to me. Because I'm burdened and heavy laden. And we understand he is lowly in heart and you will find rest for your souls for my yoke is easy. Remember that word is Christos, which is a very similar word to Christ. Like it's almost like a, a synonym in a sense. Um, it means kind and good. Like we don't have an English word to perfectly combine kindness and goodness, but that's the word Jesus is using, talking about his, his yoke. For my yoke is kind and good, and my burden is light. So when we, who everyone who believes in Jesus, born of him, and we obey out of our love for him, we put ourselves under the yoke of Christ, that's not burdensome. Burdensome is the yoke of slavery to sin that the world is carrying. I mean, we've heard people say that all the time. Oh, just the weight of the world is on my shoulders. Yeah, it's not supposed to be there. You were never meant to carry that. Jesus says, lay down that weight. You know, Hebrews tells us to cast aside everything that weighs us down. Lay that at the foot of Jesus. Take his yoke upon you. That's the only two things that he has asked us to carry. Take my yoke upon you and pick up your cross daily. Yeah, but I'm worried about this. Yeah, you're not supposed to carry that. Yeah, but what if this is what? You're not supposed to carry that. Well, I'm just really stressed out about it. Yeah, you're not supposed to carry that. That's why you're tired and fatigued in this world is because the enemy has you believing that you have to do this in your own strength. And Jesus the whole time is like, take my yoke. 
Because the beautiful thing about a yoke is usually there was two oxen in there. And so it's almost kind of like I've seen this in cartoons where you have like this big, strong ox and he's on one side of the yoke and you got this really small, skinny, you know, ox on the other side that his feet can't even touch the ground because he's strapped into the yoke. Yeah, understand which ox you are. You're not even touching the ground. Jesus is like, I'm just carrying you. That's how easy my burden and my yoke is for you is I'm just going to carry you through this. But we struggle so much because we want to add to it. No, I want my feet on the ground. I want to carry my weight. I want to do my part. And Jesus is like, yeah, this relationship doesn't work that way. Doing your part is surrendering to me, believing in me, loving me, obeying me. That's your part in this relationship. But let me carry this. Because when we talk about these commandments not being burdensome, and this is our love for God, John just beautifully walks right into that everyone who's been born of God, everyone that believes in Jesus, everyone who loves God and is obeying his commandments, this is the victory that has overcome the world. Our faith, I love the old hymn, victory in Jesus. Victory in Jesus. Not a victory that we're waiting on, a victory that was accomplished at the cross, a victory that was sealed at the resurrection, we have victory. So we living life, loving God, obeying his commandments, loving our neighbor, loving those that we don't like, loving those that we do like, this is from victory, not for victory. He has accomplished the victory. We are not. It's not in our own power. He says, this is the victory that has overcome the world. This is all past tense, our faith. And so who is it that overcomes the world except the one who believes that Jesus is the Son of God? No one. No one overcomes the world except the one who believes that Jesus is the Son of God. So we're going we're gonna to do some running here. So go to Romans, if you would. Romans chapter 8. When you see that word overcome uh, in the Greek, it's the same that you would see here in Romans 8.37. Know in all things we are more than conquerors. We are more than overcomers through him, through Jesus who loved us. Be like, yeah, I want to be a more than conqueror. Except if you read that in context, go back up to like verse 35. Who shall separate us from the love of Christ? Tribulation, distress, persecution, famine, nakedness, danger, sword. Maybe I don't want to be a more than conqueror. You know, maybe I don't want that kind of life. Go, go to Hebrews chapter 11, the hall of faith. Hebrews chapter 11, starting in verse 32, he's, he's already been talking, the writer of Hebrews, by faith this person, by faith this person, verse 32, what more shall I say? For time would fail me to tell of Gideon, Barak, Samson, Jephthah, David, Samuel, the prophets, who through faith conquered, overcame kingdoms, enforced justice, obtained promises, stopped the mouths of lions, quenched the power of fire, escaped the edge of the sword. We were made strong out of weakness, became mighty in war, put foreign armies to flight. Women received their dead back 
by resurrection. Some were tortured, refused to accept release so that they might rise again to a better life. Others suffered mocking and flogging and even chains and imprisonment. They were stoned. They were sawn in two. They were killed by the sword. They went about in skins of sheep and goats, destitute, afflicted, mistreated, of whom the world was not worthy, wandering about in deserts and mountains and in dens and in caves of the earth. And all these, though commended through their faith, did not receive what was promised, since God has provided something better for us. So he is calling us. If you want victory, you're going to find victory in Jesus. And he tells us that, right? Sean, Pastor Sean's favorite verse, John 16, 33. In this world, you will have tribulation. Not if, not maybe, you will have tribulation, but take heart. What are you worried about? What are you anxious about? I've overcome the world. And that's why we need to be in Christ. That's why we believe in him. And so, he, so this is he. So, okay, so tell us about this guy, Jesus. Well, it's he who came by water and blood, Jesus Christ, not by the water only, but by the water and the blood. And so kind of a hard verse here. We're kind of wondering, some people think, is this the sacraments? Is this baptism and communion? No, because came by. Those things are still happening today. This is past tense. Who, he who came by. Some people think it's the blood and water that came from Jesus' side when he was speared. And that would only show just his death. But he came by those things. Well, what do we, you know, some people think it's his physical birth, birth of water. You know, a woman's water breaks when she gives birth. And then his death. But that would just show that Jesus is just merely man. But he was so much more than man. Why? Because he is the Christ. For me and a few other scholars, I think the best explanation, the water of baptism, the very thing that we talked about, that Jesus completely identified with sinful humanity. That when he stood in the waters of baptism with John the Baptist, a baptism of repentance, he says, I'm with them. I'm not apart from them. I'm not distant from them. I'm with them. And then the blood of the cross that he stood in our place as a guilty, guilty sinner. Even though he who is without sin became sin, but he stood in our place as a guilty sinner, taking our punishment. And the Spirit is the truth. So go to John 3, that famous passage where Jesus is talking with Nicodemus, who's struggling with this new thing that Jesus is doing. So he comes to him at night and says, hey, we, we need to talk. And I love how Jesus just kind of gets right to the point. Verse 3, he says, Truly, truly, I say to you, unless one is born again, he cannot see the kingdom of God. And Nicodemus, how can a man be born again when he's old? Does he enter second time into his mother's womb? And all the women said, heck no. Verse 5, Jesus answered, Truly, truly, I say to you, unless one is born of water and the Spirit, he cannot enter the kingdom of God. Why didn't Jesus say anything about blood there? Because here in 1 John, he came by water and blood. But why there does he not mention the blood? See, our blood would only stain the cross. Jesus' blood satisfied the cross. Your blood is not worthy. Your blood does not take away sin. You do not need to harm yourself to fulfill what you think might be lacking in the cross of Christ. That is not what Paul is mentioning there. And there's some people that actually self-harm in many different ways because they don't think they're good enough. That is, not, that is not the gospel. 
our blood would only stain the cross. Jesus' blood satisfied the cross. That's why, like some people wonder, well, why is hell eternal, but the cross was a moment? And we put our faith in the moment that we escape eternity, right? Because hell is looking, paying for our sin out of our own ability. And what we'll always see, think of the Old Testament with an unworthy sacrifice. It's not worthy. Try it again, not worthy. It's this unending unworthiness to pay for our sin that separates us from God. That's what hell is. And why is the cross just a moment and we're saved by that? Because the blood of Jesus cleanses us from all unrighteousness, what John tells us. And so we see all three present in the unity and the testimony of Jesus in the gospel, all three persons of the cross. So look at John 15. A lot of scripture, and I'm not going to apologize for it. Verse 26, John 15, 26. But when the helper comes, talking about the Holy Spirit, Jesus is speaking, whom I will send to you from the Father, the Spirit of truth, who proceeds from the Father, he will bear witness about me. And this is the testimony that we're talking about. So it's not only the testimony of the Father about the Son, but we have the Spirit as a testimony about the Son. It's almost like God, I want, he's, he said, I'm going to do everything to make it clear and evident to you who Jesus is. Put your faith and your trust in him. Super running out of time, but I really want to address this. In verses 7 and 8, uh, some of your Bibles might have a whole extra verse in there. Anybody think uh, the pastor read wrong? So if you have a new King James or a King James Bible, um, your verse 7 would read, For there are three that testify, insert, in heaven, the Father, the Word, the Holy Spirit, and these three are one, and there are three that bear witness on earth, and then it would pick up in verse 8. If you do not have New King James or King James, you would read the same that I read. And you're probably thinking, well, is there a verse that's pulled out of Scripture? Like, what is going on there? And I always want to lean into that because I absolutely believe in the inerrancy and the reliability of Scripture, and it forces us to answer questions like this. We need to answer them well because the enemy and those that attack our faith will use that very verse to try to attack us. That part of that verse was not in any Greek manuscripts until about the 1300s, right? And when it was, it was a marginal note. Like you can see in my Bible, I write notes. It was a marginal note in a different hand when it was written, right? Somebody kind of added that in there, and you probably had a zealous copyist who thought, okay, that needs to be in there. Maybe the guy before me messed up, which was super rare, and so he puts it in there. And an easy way to defend that as well is... In the early, early period of the church, right after Jesus rose from the dead, and we had this the first couple, 300 years after Jesus, one of the biggest debates within the church was trying to understand the Trinity. Was Jesus fully God, fully man? Is the Holy Spirit fully God? Like They were having big discussions on the Trinity, and not one of them, early church fathers, really smart dudes, not one of them quoted from that verse. Why wouldn't you? If you're defending the Trinity and you had a verse that said the Father, the Word, Jesus, and the Holy Spirit, these three are one, man, that, that's a knockout defense. Now, I believe in the Trinity. Don't get me wrong. That's a, I believe in that principle. That verse is just not there, and no one ever quoted from it. Only the Latin Vulgate, which was created in about 380-something uh, AD, is the only ancient manuscript that includes that marginal note as 
scripture. And that was used for the King James and then later the New King James Bible. That's why it's included in those two translations, but not any of the others, right? There's actually about 50 passages in all of the New Testament that raise question of reliability, right? None of those are the sole foundation of any doctrine or any theology. And if you look at it in a percentage, that's only about one one hundredth of a percent. I'm sorry, one one thousandth of a percent of in question of the New Testament. So if your Bible had that, or maybe there's a footnote that it says some manuscripts had that, just wanted to be clear in that. Look at verse 11. So talking about the testimony of God. This is the testimony that God gave us eternal life, and this life is in his Son. Whoever has the Son has life. Whoever does not have the Son of God does not have life. We will not bend at the truth. Salvation is in Christ and Christ alone. There is no other way to heaven. There's no midpoint that you hang out, take some punishment, and then you get to go to heaven. It is in Christ and Christ alone. John 14, 6. I am the way, the truth, and the life. No one comes to the Father except through me. Acts 4, 12. There is no other name under heaven and on earth given to men by which we must be saved, referring to the name of Jesus. 1 Timothy 2, 5. There's one mediator between God and man, the man, Christ Jesus. We will not give up any ground that salvation is in Christ and in Christ alone. We are saved by grace through faith in Christ. He is the resurrection and the life. If you remember Jesus talking to Mary and and Martha about their brother Lazarus, don't you believe in the resurrection? She says, yeah. He goes, I am the resurrection and the life. And so go back to John 3 here real quick. As we're closing up, we got communion still to take. We got a lot of ministry to do. John 3, we all love 16, but start in verse 15. If you remember that Moses lifted up the serpent in the wilderness, so must the Son of Man be lifted up, that whoever believes in him may have eternal life. For God so loved the world that he gave his only Son, that whoever believes in him should not perish but have eternal life. For God did not send his Son into the world to condemn the world. There is no condemnation in Christ. There's freedom in Jesus. There's victory in Jesus. But in order that he might, that the world might be saved through him. And whoever believes in him is not condemned, but whoever does not believe is condemned already because he has not believed in the name of the only Son of God. And so people ask that question, what about people that don't believe in Jesus? They are eternally separated from God. Why? Because they haven't believed in Jesus. And further, they've made God a liar. And God is truth. That's one of his metaphysical attributes. God is truth. And so when we reject Jesus, we're looking at God the Father and saying, you're a liar. And what you've said about Jesus isn't true. And there's many ways to heaven. I don't know about you, but I've read all of scripture. I don't like it when people call me a liar. And it sounds like God doesn't take too lightly to it either. And so the question before every one of us that John is writing, he wants to make sure, are you born again? Do you believe in Jesus? Have you put your confidence and your trust on him alone for your salvation? Understand the testimony of the God, the water, the blood, the spirit, they all testify. The father testifies. It is Jesus. It is Christ alone. But does our heart testify the same thing? Because if it does, whoever loves God 
Well, we love his testimony. We love God. We obey his commandments. And if we obey his commandments, that means we love our enemies. We love our neighbors. We love the broken, the hurt, the hippie, the barefoot. We love anybody on the fringes that God is bringing to us for him. Why? Because his blood was poured out, which leads us to communion. So the band's going to come up, play a little ditty about Jack and Diane. No, about Jesus. We are going to stand. You just come down these, these rows here, out to the side. There's not many in here, so we should have a good flow. Grab a cup and the bread, and we will take communion together. So go ahead and stand up for me if you would. Go ahead and grab, come down these center rows and work your way. That would be great. Hey, church, while they are taking communion or prepping to take communion downstairs, I just want to hop on and remind you uh, if you missed the pre-experience. If you're upstairs, your elements are right beneath the TV, you can go ahead and go grab those. Now, if you're watching online, go grab anything that can symbolize. It doesn't have to be, you know, bread and juice. You may not have that at home. It's just, it's gluten-free bread and Welch's grapefruit juice. That's what we use here. But anything that you can use that would symbolize the body and the blood of Jesus, you go grab that right now and then you come back. We're going to take communion here in a few moments together as the Calvary community in remembrance of who Jesus is. We're going to throw it back downstairs. Uh, We're going to have a time of worship while everyone grabs their elements. You join us in worship. You go grab those elements and we'll take communion together here in a minute. Empty-handed, but not forsaken, I've been set free. was betrayed he took a cup and he said this is my blood and he took bread he said this is my body this is who I am God in the flesh and my body was broken for you and as you eat this and as often as you eat this do this and remember me take the bread he says this is my blood This is that new covenant, this new thing that I'm doing. And as often as you drink it, I want you to remember the sacrifice, what paid your sin, what cleanses you from all unrighteousness, the blood of Jesus.
So Lord, we come before you this morning and we thank you for the blood. We think that we are born again by water and spirit, but the testimony is in your blood that cleanses us from all unrighteousness. And so we put our full confidence and faith and reliance upon you for salvation, that we believe the testimony of the Father, we believe the testimony of the Spirit, and we believe you, Jesus. So continue to draw us closer in your love and your grace and your mercy and your truth, Lord. And I pray that it would flow through us as we love those around us and continue to be you, this Christ-likeness in the world. Give us that kind of faith. We pray this in the name of Jesus. And everybody said, as always, we got a prayer team over here. The Cribs would love to pray with you and for you about anything. Other than that, go love God, love others, impact this world, and we'll see you next week. Thank you. Well, hey, church, what a great message from Pastor Nick. Uh, man, the last, I'm kind of looking forward to getting out of 1 John because this has been a kick in the teeth every Sunday. It's been so good, so challenging, so helpful for me. I hope it's been the same for you. Thanks so much for joining us here this morning at Calvary for another worship experience. We're going to wrap things up here. We've got some things we got to get ready for. We've got two more services we're going to go get ready for. Just a couple things before we close I want to let you know about. If you missed the pre-experience and you're new, go ahead and just scan the QR code on the screen or text the word NEW to 573-294-2223. Whether you're on campus or online, that is going to be a way for you to connect with us. If you are on campus, then go ahead and stop by the hub, uh, our team teams would love to, to talk with you, answer any questions you may have, give you a tour of the building. And if you're online, you can also just click that digital connect card located beneath the screen on the online campus. We truly want to create a community and we want to get to know you because right now, like you're more than just an IP address to us. We know that you're watching, but we want to know who you are. You're going to get a hand uh, written note from me. I want to share some about my story and my journey and what's going on in my life personally. And I would love to hear that and get that from you as well. So if you do that, we'd greatly appreciate it. Number two, um, if you would love to stay connected with us here at Calvary, the, the two best ways to do that is on our website. Just go to ccloto.com. Or you can scan the QR code that's on the screen. We keep that up to date. That's the best place to find uh, news and information, events that are coming up. You can register for things like that. You can watch sermons. You can watch uh, the whole service on the online campus and so much more. Make sure you check out the website. And then if you download the Calvary app, just search Calvary Chapel, Lake of the Ozarks, or Calvary Chapel, L-O-T-O, in your app store, whether iOS or Google Play, Download the app, stay connected with us that way. We would love that. We keep, uh, you know, all the information that we put on the website as well as some more. Kind of the way that we think about our app and our website is this. Our website's more of a digital billboard to let people know about us. Our app is more of kind of the internal communication for those that call Calvary home that are part of the Calvary community. So either way, you go visit the website, you download the app, go. If you need to rewatch the sermon, listen to the podcast, you can do that this coming week we took a week off because we were at a pastor's conference last week so we do pastor nick and i do us um 
yeah, what is that called? A podcast uh, called The Breakdown, where we we break down and dissect the sermon. Uh, This week, we're going to dive deep. We may even make it two parts, but we're going to dive deep into last week's sermon and then kind of touch on this week's sermon. And so if last week was really challenging for you or you have questions, uh, this would be a great way maybe for us to answer some of those questions or flesh that out. You listen to the to the Breakdown podcast. You can find that on the website. You can find it on YouTube or reach out to us here at the church and we'll give you those direct links. But we're going to shut things down here like we always say each and every week. Just because the camera gets turned off doesn't mean that ministry or that church is over. In fact, right now is when ministry begins. Yes, church might be over, but now it's time for you as the Calvary community to be the hands and feet of Jesus wherever you are, whether here locally uh, at the lake or all across the globe, you go be the hands and feet of Jesus for such a time as this, wherever God has called you, whether that's to your family, to your coworkers at your job, the neighbors that you live near, uh, the person in line at the coffee shop or the grocery store or anywhere else this week, you go be light in the darkness. You you go be that city on a hill and then join us back here next week. Maybe invite some friends, some family members to join with you. Maybe invite that neighbor uh, that you live next to to join you for church, whether here on campus or online. But until then, we'll see you guys next week. Have a fantastic week, everybody.